0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the I'm Moving On edition as we head to the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Coming up, I'll discuss free agency with the Bengals Director of Pro Scouting, Steven Radicevic. Then I'll move on to the draft with Dane Brugler, the draft guru for The Athletic. And finally, I'll combine the two topics with Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus, who has some very specific ideas for how the Bengals can improve their offensive line. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing, wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since... Makeup Artists While in Indianapolis for the Combine, I was invited to make an appearance on the NFL Network to discuss the Bengals and also the top UC Bearcat prospects in this year's draft. When I arrived at the set, a makeup artist did what she could to make me look presentable. Now that's a little bit like putting lipstick on Miss Piggy. There's only so much a makeup artist can do, but still I appreciated her efforts and it reminded me of a makeup disaster from early in my TV career. If you stick around until the end of this podcast, I'll tell you about it in story time with Dan. But football comes first. In about a week, free agency gets underway. The legal tampering period begins on Monday, March 14th, and two days later, teams can begin signing players. Over the last two years, only three teams in the NFL have spent more money than Cincinnati in free agency. And I would argue that no team has been more successful, as the Bengals have added DJ Reeder, Von Bell, Trey Hendrickson, Chidobe Awuzie, and Mike Hilton, among others. The Bengals' point man in free agency... Is their director of pro scouting Stephen Radicevic. How did the Super Bowl run, and an extra month of football, impact your preparation for free agency?
1: Um, it really hasn't. We've uh, we've been grinding on these guys throughout the fall, and uh, we've uh, we've assigned position groups. So, like uh, Mike Potts's. Uh, going to cross-check all the offensive linemen in, in uh, free agency. I'm doing most of the D linemen, but I'll go back and I'll double back and I'll watch, you know, the top ten at each tackle, guard, center. Um, and then I'll have someone else get another opinion on the D tackles, the D ends. Um, and we've been doing that for the last couple of months since probably November, December, and uh, really grinding it out here the last last two months. So, um Obviously, being in the playoffs and the Super Bowl was time-consuming, and there was time taken away from the Super Bowl events that we're normally in the office watching tape. But uh, I think we've got a pretty good feel for what we're how we're going to attack this thing right now. If the draft
0: is about getting the best player available, is free agency about addressing needs?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say so. I'd say you're trying to fill. Obviously, if you got some holes, you're trying to fill it in free agency. Uh, and and set yourself up to when you're drafting, you're taking the best player available and not having to to reach on a guy.
0: We're talking to Stephen Radicevic, the Bengals director of pro scouting. In the last couple of years, the Bengals' track record in free agency has been extraordinary. He pretty much hit a home run on just about every free agent you signed. Is there a common denominator that helps explain this free agency success?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing was we we tried not to... uh, you want to pay your best players, and uh, we try not to reach on guys. We try not to overspend on players, uh, and you try to go for the solid guys that you know are going to be solid. Locker room guys, guys that are going to be high effort. Uh, you know, we've we've kind of done this. You know, we really with the last two two off seasons, uh, whether it's free agency or the draft, was uh, was trying to get captains, leaders. Uh, you know, whether it's the captains in college, the captains in Uh, Pittsburgh or Dallas you know the guys that kind of led led their position groups there Um, so we've we've kind of focused on that and then obviously the youth has been a big thing for us and going after young guys that are, are ascending or guys that we feel like have upside and are towards the down of their career so uh, those are kind of the things that we focused on in free agency the last couple of years, and I think it's paid off. Zach and Duke have both
0: talked about trying to find guys that love football and love the grind, so to speak. Do you see that on tape, or is that stuff that you get from talking to people, talking to the players themselves, etc.?
1: Uh, both. Yeah, I think you know Mike Hilton. We've obviously played against him uh, plenty of times uh, in Pittsburgh, and uh, the guy's always always above and beyond effort and. and uh, So, I mean, a lot of that stuff you just see on tape, and and you know what he's about. Uh, And then, yeah, a lot you know, the other stuff is you're, you're, uh, during the free agency period, you're trying to, you know, whether it's talking to other scouts or friends that you have in the league, just to see what those players were like in the locker room and on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, we also have our our reports from college. And, uh, you know, going into Colorado, I knew what Cheeto was, and I knew – how much of a leader he was in that locker room and kind of what he meant to that team at Colorado. So, um, you know, you have those things that kind of line up and you know what you're going to get with a guy like that. The first
0: big ticket free agent to sign in this two-year period was dj reader you guys made him the highest paid nose tackle in the nfl when you made that deal how significant was that deal not only in getting the player who's proven to be great but also in basically showing free agents all over the the nfl that the bengals are willing to be a big player
1: well yeah he uh he was the first guy that we went out and uh and wanted to attack aggressively we had obviously the the run issues that we had Facing good running teams like Baltimore's, and uh, we knew signing a guy like that was going to help in that aspect. But we also knew what type of guy he was uh, and, uh, and leader he was in that locker room in Houston. So, you know, it was great getting him going. And then I think once we signed him, we kind of got some momentum. And, and I think other players outside of our organization saw what we were trying to do and build. And, and uh, it kind of paid off, like I said, it's paid off this last free agency for sure. Let's talk offensive
0: line. It's obviously an area that the Bengals would like to improve, if possible. You played offensive line at the beginning of your college career, other than quarterback. Is offensive line the toughest position to nail, so to speak, for guys coming
1: out of college? I think it's hard. Yeah, it'd be interesting to, to just look at the uh, you know the success rate of you know first round offensive linemen and how many of them have panned out. But uh, it is it is a difficult. Um, to project you know you got guys at different levels competing a- against each other but yeah it just seems like it's uh it's obviously been one of those positions in, in the draft that it's-, it's hard for teams to predict how they're going to turn out we're talking to steven radicevic the bengals director of pro scouting
0: in free agency how much of it goes according to plan and how much of it is pivoting and reacting based on where guys are signing how much they're signing for
1: et cetera. Uh, we've had to pivot a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I think last year, you know, the focus was going to be try to get some o linemen. Uh, it was uh, not a great group of uh, free agents. There was a couple guys at the top, and then there was a drop after that of players that we felt were going to be comparable, or um, you're going to have to overpay for what their production was going to be. Uh, so there, uh, you know, like last year, like I said, we we, we had to pivot a little bit. Um, not too far off of where, where we had, you know, our option A uh, going into it. But uh, I think with any any team, there's, you just have no idea. It's hard to predict, predict who's going to come back with the team and with their team uh, or sign elsewhere. So you just have to adjust accordingly. You've added the title of director of pro scouting in
0: recent years, and Duke has given you a lot of credit publicly for the Bengal success uh, in free agency over the last couple of years. Do you feel like you've had a significant role in the Bengal success in that department?
1: I think all our all of our personnel guys have. It's uh, you know Duke does a great job of giving us big responsibility, huge responsibilities, and uh, and letting us run with it. Whether it's uh, Christian Sarkeesian doing, uh, you know this. Texas University of Texas are going into Baylor, but then coming back to the office and uh, you know having to bring guys in for workouts, and then me giving him a couple players to watch that are on the wire, uh, or uh, you know Andrew doing the East Coast schools and still doing pro pro work when he gets back to the office. Uh, I think it's a collectively, it's a group effort with uh, with all of our stuff, the way we've handled it, and um, I think all of us are appreciative for the responsibilities that Duke has given us. We're sitting
0: in the stands right now at Lucas Oil Stadium, watching players go through their paces in the combine. What do you get out of the NFL scouting combine? What do
1: you really look for? Uh, I think the, uh, the, the time that we're able to spend with the players in formal interviews is, is very important. Uh, you, you're trying to f- figure out what type, of, uh, what type of person they are, how they're going to handle certain situations. Uh, so that those, those meetings are, are valuable to us. Uh, And then obviously watching them move around and and, uh, getting to see some of these players up close and personal uh, that we haven't seen. You know, I've I've done the West Coast schools, so I haven't seen a lot of the players in the Southeast. So it's been a great opportunity to just get to shake hands and see them up close and personal. Um, So I would say those are, you know, just being able to see them physically and spend time with them are the biggest things that we're getting out of this we're a little more than a
0: week away from the start of the legal tampering period and then about a week and a half away from when free agency begins is it like college recruiting where you know at the stroke of midnight you reach out to somebody or close to that to try to express your interest
1: well uh when we're able to talk to the agents we'll talk to them and uh try to feel uh the interest out of whoever whatever player they're representing uh and then when uh when we are able to, I think a lot of our players will help out at that time and uh, try to help recruit, you know, whoever it is. Our guys have done a good job of it. I know you guys have heard the Riley Reef stories and, and having the dinners there. Uh, so it's, uh, it's been fun, and I could, see, I could see how this year is going to be a lot different from the last two years you know obviously we've built up some buzz and i think it's going to be a destination where where players are going to want to come play and play with joe and play with the other young guys that we've got on the roster so uh it'll be exciting to see how it shakes out so the joe burrow factor is real it's real for sure yeah
0: were you at the famous precinct dinner the the famous riley reef recruiting dinner
1: i was uh i was really upset i uh i was a close contact and Uh. was unable to go to that dinner. But, yeah, I really wanted to go, and uh, unfortunately was shut down in my house. So in terms of trying to retain
0: your own free agents, that's where it begins. You want to keep the best players on your own team first and then try to improve the roster with veteran players from other teams. Duke and Zach have publicly talked about Jesse Bates and how the team would like to uh, retain Jesse. What about C.J. Uzama? I haven't heard anybody specifically address the desire to hold on to C.J.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, I mean, obviously the fan base. Everybody knows what CJ means to us, and uh, we we want him back. And uh, hopefully something can get worked out. But I, uh, I, there's we're not letting CJ walk out of here easily. What has been the reaction of your
0: peers in the business to the Bengals making it to the Super Bowl?
1: A lot of the guys that I've known, and uh, having the role I had at UCLA, being the pro liaison there, I've known a lot of these guys for 15 you know, 15 years, and uh, they've known, you know, the struggles that we've gone through here the last couple of years and and uh, how much work we've, you know, as a group have put into building the roster. Uh, so it's just been, you know, the friends I've had have all been excited and, and uh, rooting us on throughout the process. I've, you know, even throughout the process, the playoffs, I was getting text messages, you know, after every win. So it was fun seeing that. So I've said that I think the Bengals
0: – we're ahead of schedule this year maybe internally you you guys don't use that expression or feel the same way but i think you're in a position to make the roster even stronger you've got some cap money to, to spend you've got one extra draft pick um that doesn't necessarily mean you get right back to the super bowl the next year but am i on track would you agree with that assessment
1: yeah i would say uh, yeah our roster's in a uh, much better spot than it was last year and uh we're definitely going to make some upgrades this offseason at different position groups. So, it'll, uh, yeah, we're in a much better spot than we were the last two years for sure. Well,
0: everybody in your department has done a phenomenal job. It's been one of the great success stories in the NFL, and obviously it's been a heck of a lot of fun to watch and broadcast. So congratulations on what you've done to help get the Bengals to the Super Bowl, and best of luck going forward. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Franchise tag deadline is coming up on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. If the Bengals use it on Jesse Bates, it would be for $13.5 million next season, and the team would still have until July 15th to try to work out a long-term extension. Now, let's turn to the draft. The Bengals have the 31st overall pick and one extra pick in the seventh round, which they obtained from the Giants in the Billy Price-B.J. Hill trade. That's the gift that keeps on giving. I caught up with the athletics draft expert, Dane Brugler, at the Combine. I consider his yearly draft guide, the so-called beast, to be the best one out there, and it usually comes out in early April, several weeks before the draft. Dane is going to mention several possible draft targets for the Bengals in our conversation. And just so you know in advance, after I play the interview, I'll tell you a little more about each of those players. How's the offensive line group that uh, is likely to be available at 31 if they elect to go that way? Well, those words that
2: you just said, likely available, that's that's key. That makes it tough because uh, we're going to see a lot of tackles fly off the board early, um, I, maybe as many as five before uh, pick 30. So it would be interesting to see if one of them were to fall to 31. Uh, to, either of the two guards that are in that first-round mix, Kenyon Green, Zion Johnson, do either of those guys make it a 31? And then I think the biggest wild card is Tyler Linderbaum, the center. There's not a prospect with a wider variance of where he could be drafted than Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, he could go 12. He could go 31. And I don't think anybody would bat an eye, uh, at least in the league, because he's such a, such a rock-solid player. Outstanding run defender, run blocker, pass uh, pass protection. That's where there shows a little bit of the the lack of length. That's where it really shows up. And that's what you really worry about um, the shorter arms like that. And I mean, I can already you know hear Bengals fans talking about like Billy Price, or you know I I can hear that already. But uh, this guy, the competitive toughness, the smarts, former defensive lineman. Um, it's just he's not going to be for everybody when you factor in all those things. Because uh, I mean, you, you think he's a center only, and you eliminate all the teams that. Uh, don't need a center. You eliminate the teams that aren't running some variance of, uh, of a zone offense, and you're down to four or five teams that would draft Tyler Linderbaum in the first round. And I think the Bengals are one of them. It's just, will he make it to 31 or not? I think it's at least in the realm of possibility that it could happen.
0: And as you alluded to, the arm length did not test well here at the Combine, so that has become a bit of a red flag for a lot of teams. If he is there at 31 and you're the Bengals, is that a no-brainer?
2: In my opinion, yeah. Um, I, I think that he's a top 15, top 20 player in this class. The arm the arm length, it, it does show up on tape. It's not like, you know, all, all of a sudden the number is this and so we have to drop him. It does show up on tape a little bit, where especially in pass protection where uh, long-arm defenders are able to reach him and dictate the action and there's only so much he can do to you know reestablish his anchor and reset so with Linderbaum I, I, I think that if you have a chance to get him at 31 it, it would be awfully hard to say no to that with he's a plug-and-play guy yes he's a center only so he does not going to give you that positional versatility um, but you know I guess we have to find out what happens in free agency um, if the Bengals go that route and if not Linderbaum absolutely in that discussion
0: In your last mock draft, which was about a month ago, you had the Bengals trading up a few spots to grab a cornerback. You'll have another mock draft coming out in a few days. I look forward to seeing that. But when you had them making that move, is that need-based or is this the strength of the, the cornerback class this year? I think a little bit
2: of both. I think there's, you know, um, Trey Waynes. I don't know that he's going to you know, be in a Bengals uniform next year. And you, you think about uh, you know, the, the depth chart, how it is, and how they can get, maybe get better at that position. I, I think you look at the corners in this draft. We're going to see them go early with uh, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, Trent McDuffie from Washington, Derek Stingley, LSU. Those three guys should be off the board in the top 15 picks. And then, uh, you know, you think about some of the other corners that could be available. Um, I, it, it could be a position that they look at in the late first round. I, I'm looking at, um, at Kylin Gordon, the other Washington corner, who is not as instinctive, not the, the play awareness, not on the same level as his as teammate Trent McDuffie. But tell you what, uh, Gordon is a phenomenal athlete, and corner is a stopwatch position. So if, you're able, if he's going to test the way that we expect him to test, uh, Cal- Gordon's not going to get out of the first round. So uh, if he's there at 31, I think Gordon could be in the mix.
0: The Bengals have a history of drafting corners in the first round. I think that I agree with they have that notion that if you're going to get an excellent cornerback, it almost always has to be a high pick. I think that's fair because uh, athletes at the position go early,
2: um, and especially at that position where it's a stopwatch position. Uh, it matters how fast you are, uh, especially in a straight line. So, uh, but I mentioned with Gordon, uh, talking to him, talking to McDuffie, they've got a little friendly wager going on to see who, who runs the fastest, who jumps the highest. Both should be over 40 in the vert. Both should be low 4.4s, four high 4.3s in the 40. So it'll be fun to see uh, how it all shakes out.
0: The Bengals have three great wide receivers. They all stayed healthy this year. The odds of that happening in back-to-back seasons, unfortunately, probably low. Is that a spot where the Bengals will be able to help themselves with a later pick?
2: yeah i think wide receiver and this is a trend that's not going to go away every year wide receiver seems to be a a strength uh just with the way the college game is the way things are trending um wide receiver year in year out is a uh a deep position both early in the first round and then throughout every every level of the draft so that's especially true this year um and if they want to go that direction on day two and go after uh, you know uh, a guy like Skymore, or Calvin Austin from Memphis I think they could but if they want to wait until day three fourth fifth sixth seventh round there's going to be players there there's going to be guys so uh, the, you know the top three receivers on our team they're all what top two round guys and so you know I, I think they've had some good success drafting the position early but they don't with the the way the depth chart's set up they don't necessarily have to do that they can draft and develop and see what they could find later on.
0: They've drafted several offensive linemen in recent years. The jury is still out on some of these guys, probably most notably Jackson Carmen. But do you have any theories for why the Bengals have not had a lot of success with their most recent offensive line draft picks?
2: Uh, I don't think there's any sweeping theory. I think it's just, um, you you know, it's more about the player than anything the Bengals have done. And, you know, for uh, a guy like Jackson Carmen, it's all about maturity. It's all about growing mentally, physically. Um, It's... It's tough to uh, walk into an NFL locker room, uh, you know, with all these veteran guys, and establish yourself as, uh, you know, this guy that's going to be a starter and you know have a voice and all that. So it just takes time for for these guys um, and jackson carman i think this will be a big jump for him this offseason to see what he looks like in year two um i know the bengals they really want him to uh, lock down a starting job and i think he's certainly capable of that it's just all about maturity uh again both the mental side and the physical side and i think he's capable
0: the bengals arrived ahead of schedule i think a lot of people thought all right with joe burrow maybe within a few years they'll have a chance to compete for a super bowl they got there in year two what do you think of their overall roster
2: I mean, obviously, it's a Super Bowl uh, roster. I mean, that that that's fact. Uh, you know, it, it with that roster it helped them get there. And I think when you have the quarterback, that that is what uh, you know absolves a lot of sins uh, elsewhere. And it'll be interesting with this this off season what that means. Having that quarterback gives you a little recruiting advantage in free agency. You know, if you're going to go after some offensive lineman in free agency. Having Joe Burrow uh, as the guy that you're you're blocking for that 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 means something. So right there, I think that's that that's obviously a big piece of the puzzle that the Bengals have Um, but then you you look at wide receiver you look at um, you know even though you know tight ends not necessarily a position where they have spent a high draft pick recently but it's they've gotten good production there on defense you know they've made some key moves in free agency that have really uh, done done a nice job the linebackers you know really like uh, you know guys like Pratt and Logan Wilson and those guys so um, and then in the secondary what's going to happen with Jesse Bates you know at, at very worst he's going to be franchised i would think and so it's just just a matter of uh can they get a long term deal done there and then um corner I, you know they can get better i think but um this is a, this is a roster ready to compete again it's not going don't think we're going to see a big drop off by any means but AFC is so tough that it does make it interesting uh, when you're in a division with some pretty good teams. Uh, You know, the Browns aren't going anywhere. The Ravens aren't going anywhere. We'll see what the Steelers and the quarterback situation – but you look around and you know you've got the Bills, you've got the Titans, you've got the the Chargers and the Chiefs, and you go on and on and mention these teams that are playoff worthy. So um, you know it's it's not time just because the Bengals made the Super Bowl. I don't think that by any means they're gonna just kind of rest on their laurels at all. They're gonna they're gonna try and get better this off season. And I'm, I'm eager to see what they do in free agency.
0: Both of their three techniques are free agents. Larry Ogunjobi and B.J. Hill, they're going to try to re-sign both. I think they probably feel they need to re-sign at least one, but is that a position uh, where there's some after-the-first-round talent here?
2: Uh, yeah, possibly. I think uh, you know we're going to see a guy like Devontae Wyatt from Georgia go early, um, and then after that... Uh, you know, DeMarvin Leal from A&M, um, where does he end up? And, and do they view him as a three technique? He's 285, so maybe he's more of a base end. Um, there's some split opinion on him. Um, but, you know, I, I think this defensive tackle class is a better than maybe we thought. Um, I think the senior bowl with the guys, how they perform there. I think here at the combine, the way they you know, a guy like Perion Winfrey from, uh, uh, from Oklahoma, who's just a monster uh, in the middle um, as a second round pick. I, I think he's, he's, he's the type of guy you want to you want to bet on because of uh, the traits that he offers. Um, you know, he can play multiple spots. He played more of a nose tackle at Oklahoma. I think he was kind of out of position there. But, um, you know, can play a few spots up and down the, the line of scrimmage for you. So this is a defensive tackle class that I think is a little bit better than we initially thought. Do
0: you have a quarterback in mind for the Steelers?
2: It, it, it's really tough because we have to figure out where these, you know, last year we had five quarterbacks top 15. This year, where's that first quarterback coming off the board and who's it going to be? I think if the Steelers want one of these guys, they need to go make a move, you know, and trade up 10 spots or so. Um, but, you know, is there a quarterback they love enough to go do it? I know Malik Willis to, to Pittsburgh, that's been the popular uh, fit the, that a lot of people have been talking about. And I get it. Um, you know, they, Mike Tomlin's talked about, you know, getting more athletic at the quarterback position, but – Malik Willis isn't ready to start from day one. So are they comfortable with Mason Rudolph being your starter for 2022? Um, You know, that's something that internally they have to figure out. Uh, And, but a guy like Kenny Pickett, he's ready to step in from day one, not only compete for the starting job, but he's help. He's ready to help you win football games. He can help you, you know, compete for the division, push for the playoffs. So, if they have a chance at Kenny Pickett, uh, keep him in Pittsburgh, you know, obviously he's familiar with that part of town. Uh, That would would make a ton of sense as well. So the whole quarterback uh, landscape in this draft is wide open. And we're here at the combine, the drafts, you know, less than two months away, and we're still trying to figure it out.
0: Has Desmond Ritter helped himself
2: here in Indianapolis? Hasn't hurt himself. You know, I think he he tested like, he tested better than some wide receivers, you know, with the athletic testing. I don't think that when you watch his tape, he's a pocket passer. He doesn't, you know, the athleticism is not something he relies on, but it's nice to know that he has it. Um, he, he's, I think he went to the uh, senior bowl, checked that box, Went come, came to the combine. I've heard nothing but positive things about, you know, the way he interviews. Um, he's a really, he's an older guy. He's sharp. He's smart. He's prepared. Um, I think it's something that every every team that I've talked to about Ritter, they all mentioned how prepared he was for these interviews. So, and not just coaching, you know, being coached up, but, you know, really being attentive, asking the right, Questions that type of thing. So um, I, I think he's, you know, obviously had a, a, a really good resume in college, um, but coming here, he's he's only helping himself.
0: The University of Cincinnati has had one top ten pick in its history. Will Sauce Gardner make it too?
2: I think so because he plays the right position, and he just had a heck of a three year run there for the Bearcats. Um, you know, he's he's tall, he's long, he's. Uh, exudes confidence uh that that's bringing it lightly uh, but you know he's I, I worry about him a little bit downfield he can get out of control at times uh can can clean that up but no you, you bet on a guy like that I, I think he's he's probably the favorite to be the first corner drafted um somewhere in the top 10 you know there's a couple teams in there that need corners so uh, if you're gonna put the over under at at 10 uh, i'm gonna take the under for sauce Gardner.
0: I could do this for an hour, but I'll respect your time. I always appreciate running into you at the Combine. Thank you so much, and I look forward to the beast. Thanks, Dan. All right, let's quickly go over the draft prospects that Dane mentioned, starting with Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum, a player frequently mentioned as a logical fit for the Bengals if he's still on the board at number 31. Brugler has him listed at number 17 on his top 100, but Linderbaum's arms were measured at 31 and an eighth at the Combine, which is a red flag for many teams and could cause him to drop. That was an issue for Billy Price, whose arms measured at 32 inches. But it's not a deal-breaker. Creed Humphrey, the outstanding rookie center for the Chiefs, measured at less than 32 last year, and former seven-time Pro Bowl center Nick Mangold also had less than 32-inch arms. Most mock drafts don't have Linderbaum available with the 31st pick. Brugler mentioned two guards, including Kenyon Green out of Texas AM. He's 6'4, 323 pounds, with 34 and an 8 inch arms, and played every position on the O line but center for the Aggies. He's number 24 on Dane's top 100. The other guard is Zion Johnson from Boston College, who's 6'3, 312 with 34 inch arms. He's number 26 on Dane's top 100. Dane also mentioned cornerback Kyler Gordon out of Washington. He's 5'11" and a half, ran a four five two hundred forty 40 at the combine, and has literally been a ballet dancer in the past. He's number 68 on Dane's top 100. Then there was wide receiver Calvin Austin from Memphis, who did not make Dane's top 100. He's undersized at 5'8" 170 but made a huge impression at the Combine by running a blistering 4 40 Austin had back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons at Memphis and returned two punts for touchdowns. Finally, there were two defensive tackles, DeMarvin Leal out of Texas A&M and Perry and Winfrey from Oklahoma. Leal is 6'4", 283 and ranked 51st on Brugler's Top 100. Winfrey is 6'4", 290 and was ranked 53rd. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This past season, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the year with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Up next, Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus, who joined me at the Combine to discuss free agency and the draft. Up first, his formula for how to improve the Bengals'
3: offensive line. You have to approach it with volume, right? The offensive line is not a single piece changes anything. It's a weak link unit, right? You do not want any obvious weak links along the offensive line. You'd rather have you know this creep towards average. You'll get everyone to play, have average to above average play, and you need that right now, right? And if you just solve that with volume in the draft and bring in these rookies, you're not going to get that play right out of the gate. They have a window, a window with Joe Burrow on this rookie contract to maximize his potential. Go spend. Go spend in free agency to add to this offensive line, potentially make trades. I know Larry Tunsil could be made available. That's the type of decision-making they need to make. And now, you don't need, again, volume in free agency. You don't need to go out and get Teron Armstead, Brandon Scherf, Ryan Jensen, like all the high prize free agents. You can still bring in guys in free agency that aren't these high price pieces of the puzzle, right? Like, I even look like bringing back Riley Reef and, and just making sure that you continue to add volume along the offensive line and veteran talent, guys that are playing good right now. Because rookies, while Jackson Carmen in two or three years could be a really, you know, really successful guard and other rookie offensive tackles in this draft could be playing well and soon – it won't be right next year, right? Tristan Werff, so the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive tackle, is an outlier, a guy coming in that quickly and having success. Same with Rashawn Slater. You no, know, especially when you start to get to these interior offensive line guys on day two, it's that much harder to bring in a guy that can legitimately start right away.
0: So you favor multiple medium priced guys yes. as opposed to blowing a significant chunk of cap space on a guy
3: absolutely like i think a lot of Bengals fans want to see this completely remade offensive line where it's like i said these high priced guys it's just not it's not easy to do that and then when you do invest that much money in an offensive line a, a situation that comes up for me is the last, you know the oakland raiders back in the day signed donald Penn, signed kolecio Assembly, signed gabe jackson signed Ronnie hudson then they had to blow it all up soon after that when you make when you spend that much it gets that much more difficult for the buffalo bills they went into a free agency a few years ago and added a lot of capable starters john feliciano Mitch Mitch Morris, Deion Dock. Like no no guys that are legitimate stars at their position, but guys that just like helped elevate the average of their offensive line. Now, it's not to say they can't go offensive line at 31. There are guys, in my opinion, that can come in and play right away. Zion Johnson, the Boston College offensive lineman is one of those. And on day two, this is a good guard class. It's a very good offensive line class. A lot of these guys meeting thresholds, if not clearing thresholds, specifically with arm length. Darian Kennard of Kentucky is a guy I really like. Tyler Smith of Tulsa. You can get capable players on day one and day two in this draft, but there's only a handful where I really feel confident they're going to start and have success right away, especially with where they're picking.
0: So getting back to free agency, you mentioned a few names that are at the top of the pay scale. How about a step below? Are there some guys that that you like that would be more affordable that you think would immediately upgrade the Bengals' offensive line?
3: I, I do think that you have to maybe, looking at these medium-price free agents, I think Riley Reef comes to mind. I think there should be some other guys getting cut as well. Like People are talking about potentially the Dallas Cowboys moving on from their left tackle. I think that the medium-price free agents that I'm highlighting probably are Mitch Morse, I think, might be coming available, which could come in and play center. You have Riley Reef coming back. I mean, those are some of the names that I do think will help them. Now, I don't necessarily think that they have to lock into free agency as well. I think they can make trades to add to this offensive line, especially with the 31 overall pick. Why spend on a player that maybe can't start right away, when you could you could you know, trade that 31 overall pick for a Laramie Tunsil, whoever may be. It'll be
0: interesting with Laramie Tunsil, if he is in fact on the block, mm-hmm. how much are you willing to give up? Certainly, if it only took the 31st pick in the draft, I would think the Bengals would jump at something like that, but the Texans paid a lot more than that to get him. Naturally, you'd think they would want a lot more... Than just a first-round pick in return.
3: So I do think it would be obviously take the 31st overall pick and potentially a future second, future third. I don't. It's not a two first-round picks type of deal. Mm-hmm. Two first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil with the current contract situation they has. I do think that would be a bit absurd, especially with the Houston Texans looking to offload some of these guys. I think a first and a second, maybe a first and two thirds, something like that is where my mind goes. Two firsts and you kind of have to rule it out. I think it's better to take a Bedard Ryman, the Central Michigan offer to tackle that at that point. Trevor Penning, if he falls that far, now. You're hearing, though, Charles Cross, Mississippi State offensive tackle, might fall in this draft as well, because there's just so much talent, specifically at that position. You could You could luck into a really talented player there as well.
0: The Bengals have Jonah Williams. Mm-hmm. Hasn't been a Pro Bowl level player, but he's certainly competent and hopefully is still getting better. Other than that, right now, there are no sure things on the offensive line, so... It almost feels to me like it has to be a combination of free agency in the draft.
3: No, I think it will be a combination, too. Especially, I do think, at 31, the board will fall to them, whereas Zion Johnson... Or one of the, the tackle four, tackle five should be available to them in this class. They can attack that piece, and then in free agency, there are some. Again, I always come back to like bringing guys back, like consistency along the offensive line. Trey Hopkins, you know, Riley Reeve, consistency along the offensive line just to maintain depth. I do think could be a wildly successful piece for them. Now that does mean you got to completely retool your offensive line. You could run into some concerns. The Kansas City Chiefs completely remade their offensive line last year, and you saw. A handful of concerning pieces of that. I don't think their protection was that great this year. So I do think that while you do want to replace everyone and make upgrades everywhere, you're only with five new starters next year. I honestly think you're setting yourself back a little bit. Bring in two or three new guys and then add some depth as well, bringing some guys back.
0: We're chatting with Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. So the Bengals were ahead of schedule this year. I don't think anybody reasonably thought they would make it to the Super Bowl. How well are they set up for the future?
3: I think they're in a good spot. I mean, they have really a lot of cap space and their quarterback, right? And their quarterback in a window now with this rookie contract, where they can maximize his value. And then, you know, with winning in the NFL, being Super Bowl competitive in the NFL, having the quarterback, having a top five, top six quarter, you know, player at that position, having a plethora of playmakers—not one, not a Devontae Adams—you need a lot of guys. You need T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, obviously now because you need depth at that position, so people can't hone in on your top guy. The offensive line is where they're behind, and then even in pass rush, I love what Trey Hendrickson obviously did this past year. Sam Hubbard's a high-motor, high-effort player. I still think they can get better there as well. Do not... Everyone I talk to here is like, do not stop adding pass rushers. When you think you have as many as you need, grab another one. Like, that's exactly how the position should be approached. No pass rush in the NFL has enough of these guys that can get after the passer. It's the reason why it's the second highest paid position in the NFL, right? After quarterback, the guys who get paid the most are the ones who go get the quarterback. So getting multiples of those. And in the secondary, what they did in the secondary is very similar to how they should approach the offensive line. Mike Hilton, Chidobe Awuze, just adding and adding and adding. Even adding Von Bell a few years ago. Just continue to add veteran talent. Talent, at a position where we know it takes some time to develop and just getting not elite guys, not, not, not top men, world beaters that are going to cost you $30 million apiece, but guys that can come in and raise the floor of your defense. I view the secondary very similar to how I view the offensive line. Yeah, you can have a Jalen and Ramsey, but if you, and, and that does things to your defense. You can do a lot of great things, but something that's also not equally good but can be really helpful for you is just making sure you don't have obvious weaknesses. Urban Meyer talked a ton about where when he was coaching at Ohio State, he'd have this offensive call, find the fish and the fish on defense is a guy who's given up all the yards and you just target him and target him and target him and that you can have two Jalen Ramseys, but if you have a guy that's going to give up everything over the middle or whatever it may be that can really like drop the floor of your defense.
0: They will get Joseph Osai back to potentially help the pass rush. Were you big on him going into last year's draft?
3: I, I liked him as a raw player that should be trending in the right direction. That's kind of how I feel like he's a guy who's going to need to develop. Now I don't know how much the injury like kept him from doing that. I do think it probably gave him an opportunity to like slow down. You know, that's we talk with rookies like slow the game down, slow the game down. The game is probably a lot slower to him now that he's watched a lot of it and been involved in practice and that stuff. I do think that it's the technique now that needs to improve. Having not seen him play, it's hard to say he's going to come in and be this like six seven-sack guy, but he had the tools to do it, and I think that's a big reason why they drafted him.
0: You mentioned the Bengals' big three at wide receiver. Those guys stayed healthy this year, so they didn't really need four, five, six, whatever. This is a good draft to find that guy isn't it based on everything that I've read and heard
3: 100 it's also a good guy to find someone who could complement their big receiving sets right like they do have Jamar Chase who's a big bodied strong receiver Tyler Boyd a very similar player T Higgins getting a guy that can complement this offense and maybe is a little bit smaller maybe is a little bit shifty this gadget player that teams are gravitating toward this is a good draft class to do it Calvin Austin of Memphis is only 178 pounds but the dude's a jitterbug and I think that's what you miss in this offense, it's not something they need, right? But, I mean, why not? Why not go get some more guys that can move the football and make plays after the catch? I think that's an area where they could add some people. I know you look in the red zone, right, in these key situations, throwing to Trent Taylor, the former Louisiana Tech receiver. He's a guy that does things differently than Chase, and you have to guard him differently. Getting a guy like that, maybe an elevated piece of that, a better athlete, could be a move for them. It's not an obvious need. But on day two, day three, you could probably add one of those guys.
0: Especially if one of those guys could also return punts.
3: Yes, one hundred percent. And one of those one of my favorite players in this draft actually plays defensive back. His name's Marcus Jones. He is a guy that I feel is such a good kick returner that you have to bring it up every single time. And the other one is Bam Knight, Zonovan Knight of NC State. I sit down with him at the Super Bowl, I'm like, oh you know, talking through his strengths and weaknesses. He's like, I want you to know this. I let all the FBS and kick return yards. Yeah. Like, oh, man, that's cool. It's like, no, I'm going to say it again. I let all the FBS and kick return yards. Yeah. He is a guy that knows he can win on special teams. It's, it's a lost part of the game, right? More people are kicking touchbacks. I don't have to explain that. But if you can have that element, right, as a punt returner and a kick returner, it can really elevate your offense. I think it's an under-discussed piece because it's only, what, 10% of the snaps in any single game. You get guys that do it well. It can really help you out.
0: The Bengals' three techniques are both free agents, Larry Ogunjobi and B.J. Hill. They'll try to re-sign both. They certainly probably feel they need to keep at least one. But is that an area that they could help themselves in this draft?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think bringing in B.J. Hill types to a defense that – Want, doesn't necessarily want to blitz a ton and wants to stuff the run is huge. I mean, I think the DJ Reader ad and B.J. Hill ad were massive in their run for the Super Bowl. If they don't sign B.J. Hill back, I'd be concerned because he is a monster. I think he's getting better as he progresses in his career. And there are other defensive tackles, maybe not 3 techs that I like, The 3 techs, maybe Devontae Wyatt's going to be gone by the time that they're drafting. You have some others that, Perion Winfrey of Oklahoma that you could insert into a defense, but it's not going like to legitimately elevate it. But from a nose tackle perspective, Travis Jones, UConn defensive tackle, he fills to the back end of the second round. That's a sprint the card in the situation for Cincinnati. Continue to add two gapping, run stuffing, defensive tackles on day two, and you'll see how much it can elevate your defense, especially at low cost.
0: You love the draft. Your passion for it is obvious. What's the combine like for you? The
3: combine is awesome. I think I learn more about the draft class in one week than you do in the previous three months. We're just talking to other people, talking to teams, talking to agents, talking to these guys who have been studying this for a while and answering a lot of questions. Right, Traylon Burks, the Arkansas receiver. Why did he play seventy percent of his snaps in the slot? Let's talk about that. What was the offensive coordinator thinking? What does his agent think of that? What does he want to play in the NFL? Because it's not as easy as saying from a ten thousand foot view on watching tape. It's like this guy's good, this guy's not. That's just, it's just not that easy. What's he like on tape? What's he like in person? What's his demeanor? What's his approach? Is, is he coachable i was talking to so many people here brady quinn dame rugler of the athletic more teams cross off names off the board don't drop them cross them off mm-hmm. their board for the character concerns and how they approach themselves in the interviews than anything else here you could run a four nine at the receiver position and if you are this high character guy that people want to gravitate toward and feel that they can coach you're going to you're going to be elevated up boards and not crossed off
0: Desmond Ritter's a guy like that. Has he helped himself at the combine?
3: 100%. My gosh, that guy probably helped himself of any quarterback here. Four, low 4'5's four, 48. Knew he's a strider, knew he could hit that, but man, to see it definitely you know, checks a lot of boxes. It's not something that you would call him a winner for. You saw that speed on tape, but you need to check those boxes, right? Because if he runs 4'6", four, 4'7", four, that's opposite to what you see on tape. In addition to that, you, you start to factor in preparation and you know how you know, did he add too much weight? There's a lot of concerns that can come of it. So I do think he checked that box. Massive hands, which is huge for the quarterback position. I think Desmond Ritter, the more I think about it, 18 to the New Orleans Saints just feels so right. Mm-hmm. Why let Desmond Ritter fall past at 18? A guy that can come in with a roster of a ton of talent, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas expected to be back. I know they might lose to Ron Armstead, but why not bring in a guy that could probably elevate, not elevate, but... Play to the level of that supporting cast in New Orleans. I know they have a new head coach. I know they like Jameis Winston, but that's the spot where I really feel comfortable taking Desmond Ritter. And then the spots after that, Pittsburgh at 20, if Malik Willis obviously is gone. They're big on Malik Willis. I think those, are, those are the areas where I think Desmond Ritter should be coming off the board.
0: Now, see, I have to disagree with you there because Desmond Ritter can't go to the Steelers. My <laughs> hatred for the Steelers cannot be diluted by seeing Desmond Ritter on that roster. Last thing for Austin Gale. Cincinnati hasn't had a first-round pick since 1970. If it isn't Desmond Ritter, it'll certainly be Sauce Gardner. I mean, he's going to go in the first round. That's a given. How high?
3: I think it's a lock for the top 10. I, if he gets past the Jets, I'd be stunned. It's exactly the type of defense they want to run. They want to run more single-high concepts. It's, and with Ahmad Garner, I think he's phenomenal. But if you put him in a defense where, where they run a lot of single-high, run a lot of cover three, cover one, he's going to be insane. right? And there are going to be teams that want him to be scheme versatile and run more zone coverage. It's not something he did a ton of at Cincinnati, and that's not a knock on him. He played a lot of one thing and did really good at it, and a lot of teams do run that. So, you know, The New York Jets have obviously the number four overall pick and the number 10 pick. I think people have been mocking Derek Stingley or Kyle Hamilton, a defensive back at that four spot. I'm hearing they're locking into an offensive tackle. I think they want Evan Neal to fall. They want Ike Kwanu or Charles Cross up at that top spot, maybe even Trevor Penning. And then at 10, he might not get to this point, but at 10, I think uh, Maude Garner it would, be a, would be a slam dunk for the Jets.
0: Fantastic stuff. As always, I really appreciate your time.
3: Absolutely. Thank you. Now let's go over the draft
0: prospects that Austin mentioned that Dane Brugler didn't. Darian Kennard is an offensive lineman from Kentucky who played tackle for the Wildcats, but is projected to be a guard in the NFL. He's huge, 6'5", 322, with 35-inch arms. He's number 42 on Brugler's Top 100. Tyler Smith out of Tulsa is 6'5", 324, with 34-inch arms, and he's number 85 on Brugler's Top 100. Austin also brought up three offensive tackles as possible candidates to still be there at number 31. Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan is 6'6", 303, with 32 and 7 arms. The Austria-born big man is number 29 on Brugler's top 100. Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa is 6'7", 325, with 34 and a quarter-inch arms, and was a three-year starting left tackle. He's number 19 on the Brugler Top 100. And then there's Charles Cross from Mississippi State, 6'5, 307, with 34 and a half inch arms. The two year starting tackle is way up there at number 8 on the Brugler Top 100. Austin also mentioned a defensive tackle named Travis Jones from Yukon. He's 6'4, 325, and is number 45 on the Brugler Top 100. At wide receiver, Austin mentioned Traylon Burks from Arkansas. He's 6'2, 225, and is frequently compared to the 49ers' Debo Samuel. He ran a 4'5'5'40 at the combine. And in addition to Memphis's Calvin Austin, Austin Gale brought up two return specialists. First, cornerback Marcus Jones, who spent his first two college seasons at Troy and his final two at Houston. In his college career, Jones returned six kickoffs. And three punts for touchdowns. And then there's running back Zonovan Bam Knight from NC State, who returned three kickoffs for touchdowns in his college career and averaged 34.4 yards per return this past season. And now, to wrap things up, it's an installment of Storytime with Dan. Here's the concept. I've been broadcasting in some way, shape, or form since working for the student radio station at Syracuse University. I've had a wide variety of experiences on and off the air. In previous episodes, I've shared the behind the scenes details of why there was once a character named Dan Horde on The Simpsons, and told the story of how my wife Peg helped Ken Griffey Jr. have perhaps his best season in a Reg uniform by buying him a Pope t-shirt. Today on Storytime with Dan, it's my makeup story. Here goes. My first job out of college was as a minor league baseball announcer for the Syracuse Chiefs, at that time the AAA affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. After doing that for a few years, I was approached out of the blue by an old college buddy to see if I might be interested in doing TV sportscasts on the 6 and 11 o'clock news. You've probably heard of him, some guy named Mike Tarico. When we were students at Syracuse, Mike was so absurdly talented that one of the local TV stations hired him to be their weekend sports anchor when he was still a sophomore in college. While the rest of us were doing what college kids do on Friday and Saturday nights, Mike was going to work. So when he graduated and no longer had to go to class, the TV station that he worked for immediately promoted Mike to the number one spot, anchoring Monday through Friday and they demoted the Monday through Friday guy to weekends. Well, as you can probably imagine, he didn't take the demotion very well, and soon bolted for another job. So, that opened up the weekend slot, and Mike called me to see if I would be interested. Now, you have to understand, I had never done a TV sportscast in my life, but Mike said he would convince his boss to give me a tryout. So, I did the tryout, and apparently didn't embarrass myself because they offered me the job. Fast forward to my first night as a TV sports anchor. I've written my scripts, I've put on my best suit and tie, and about 15 minutes before I was about to go on, one of my co-workers pointed down the hall and said, In case nobody told you, the makeup room is the second door on the right. Makeup room? I didn't know there was a makeup room. That's awesome. So I walked down the hall, fully expecting that when I entered the second door on the right, that I would sit down in a high chair And a friendly makeup person would do whatever makeup people do to make unattractive people like me look good. Or at least better. Well, not exactly. When I walked into the makeup room, there was nobody in there. It was basically a bathroom with no toilets. There were mirrors and a sink and lots of bright lights. But no makeup person. I soon learned that unless you're working in a place like New York or L.A. or for a major network, there are no makeup people. You do it yourself. Unfortunately, I'm a dude. I not only had no idea what to do about makeup, I was too embarrassed to ask any of my co-workers for help. So the next day, I went to the local CVS to buy makeup. Not the cosmetics desk at a department store where they would have happily assisted me, but a random drugstore where I could pull something off of a shelf and try to figure it out myself. So I'm looking at the wall of makeup, and I decided I would get something in a medium. How hard could it be? You get one of those little sponges, spread some of that medium cream on your face, and you're ready for TV. And so that's what I did before my second night on the job. Well, when I walked out onto the set and the male and female news anchors saw me, they both did a shocked double-take. I suspect the reaction would have been exactly the same if I had walked out there with no pants. I went ahead and did my sports cast, and when the news was finished, the female news anchor, Tracy, said, Uh, Dan, you might want to consider a different shade of makeup. You look a little bit... dark. So, I went back to the makeup room and took a closer look at what I had wiped all over my face before going on TV. It was a medium shade, all right, but it was for, quote, beautiful women of color. That's right. I hadn't noticed that I had purchased makeup specifically intended for women with darker skin tones. Needless to say, I swallowed my pride and asked for help the next day. And hopefully, the tape of that sportscast no longer exists. And that concludes this episode of Storytime with Dan. It also concludes this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free to play next level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play.